0: So I went to the game on Tuesday night, my friend. And uh, as we sit down here at the 9-foot homemade oak bar and we have a beer and we talk White Sox baseball, a couple of buddies uh, here on the south side, uh, I I get over to games as much as I can. Although I do find myself, like lately, like when I get one offered to me, I have to be really sure I'm I'm willing to take the time, you know, to go down there and spend a bunch of money and deal with some of the hassles in the ballpark. And then is Tony going to do like one of his throwaway lineups? you know, right. where you're looking at it and you're like, oh, we have like far less of a chance of winning this game than if we played like the right lineup. You know, so when I get something offered to me, like a couple weeks ago, I got one offered to me and it was going to be you know, like 58 degrees outside or low 60s, there might be a drizzle, there might not. And, you know, I looked, I knew where, where they were going to line up everybody and I was like, I don't know if I want to go down there for the hassle because the ballpark experience is not great right now. Like, they can run all their propaganda commercials and tell you like, come on out to the ball game. it's so much fun, but there's a lot of really aggravating things going on in there, you know. And it's not all bad. Like here's the thing: I, I go with my wife. This is our first time that we go to uh, the game together this year. This is her first ball game, so of course you know Erica. She she's going out to party. Yeah. Right. Like she got herself all done up. She's going to the ball game with her husband. She's gonna drink like she's 24, even though she's the inverse of that. <laughs> But she's gonna act like she's I'm sure studying. she's happy. The internet knows about that now. But they, yeah, go ahead. This is she does, and you know she's ready to have a day. Like she's taking an hour off of work early so we can get down to Cork and Carry ahead of time.
1: She's treating it like like an event, which so in, in in all honesty, what she's really doing is she's treating it the way the White Sox commercials expect you to to want to treat go into the ball game. This is an outing. This is a thing that you're gonna go and do. And it's an entertainment event, right? She's, that you should get ready for
0: this. Is, this is like going to see Hamilton. She's Brooks Boyer's dream, right there. That's what he wants, right? Yeah, he's the marketing guy. Like that's what he wants. He wants somebody to say, "That's it. We're going to the ball game. This is this is a thing. We're going to the ball game." Right. So my way of doing it is, I get down there a little bit early, so I, I'm not going to complain about parking because it was a Tuesday night, first of all, and I was down there way before it was going to get busy. Okay because I wanted to head over to Cork and Carry at the park at 33rd and Princeton and and have something to eat and have a couple of beers and and just kind of relax and, and lead into going into the game, right? Which which one of the award-winning burgers did you get? Because I'm getting a little envy. It's been a bit since I've been down there. I didn't do the award-winning burgers. I We went with... Uh, you didn't. I went with Wings. Which I'll do from time to time because the sauce they put on there, you could tell they're they're making it right there. I mean, like it's really fresh when I'm when I'm having their wings. Uh, I did the uh, the pulled pork barbecue nachos and I was drinking the uh, El Segundo Brewing uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin beer that they have there. I think that's the only oh, place yeah, in Chicago yeah, okay. you can get that. Like where you can get the Broken Skull Lager. Like I can actually get that at at Cork and Carry.
1: Nice. That's that that's a nice that's a nice little pregame right there.
0: I I know. So I'm sitting there, I'm having, you know, we had people that stopped by or were sitting at the bar uh who came by to say hi because I mentioned on the show that I was going to be down there and they're like, "Oh, you know, I heard that you're going to be over here on the show, so I came by to say hi." And that was nice. We hung out with people, had a couple of beers, had some appetizers. That's that's really pleasant to me. Like that's how I want to start. There's really good customer service there, and that's how I choose anything that I do, right? Like if I'm going to go anywhere, if I'm going to go spend my entertainment dollar, I want to be treated right because I'm spending money to be there. And especially in this day and age with inflation and people having money troubles coming out of the pandemic and everything else like that. Like your dollar means more to you now than ever. I mean, what's gas prices up to almost like six bucks a gallon. If it's not pretty much. Yeah. At this point, your dollar means something. So you should be getting something for that dollar. And that's why I go to Cork and carry at the park before the ball game. So I might as well finish up their ad right here. This was never intended to be their ad, but I'll finish it up. Check them out at Cork all right, and they're in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton, award-winning burgers, an extensive tap. Uh, there's just so much going on there. It's a great place to start the game, end the game. Your, your perfect place for White Sox pregame and postgame is Cork and Carey at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. All right, so we finish that off, and we walk over to the ballpark. And we do get there, admittedly, as the fireworks are going off and they're taking the field because she, again, like I said, she's acting like she's 24, and she's out to party. So she's like, one more round before we go in the game. I'm like, whatever. So she, she slowed me down getting into the ballpark. But I get there, and getting in wasn't a big deal, and it shouldn't have been. Tuesday night, that wasn't a bad crowd to get in. But what's crazy is, is we're heading up to the 300 level where my dad and my sister and I all split up a, a season ticket package. While we're heading up there, I look down at that 100 level bridge for the entrance that's along the third baseline that crosses over 35th Street. And it is an absolute mass of humanity. It isn't even a line. It's a bridge that looks like people are trying to get on the last boat off of the island before the zombie herd kills everybody. (laughs) It is absolutely ridiculous when you look at it. It is wall-to-wall people in a crush on a bridge over a street with a fence that's the only thing that's keeping them from falling off of the bridge. If you got hurt trying to get into the ball game, waiting for them to scan your ticket to make sure you're allowed on that level. You, I think in my mind, would it be perfectly within your rights, suing the White Sox for as much as you could possibly get, because it's just terribly set up, right? Like I looked down at that mass of humanity. I'm like, that's insane. You know, this is the only ballpark I think in America that restricts people from getting on the 100 level. And it's all because a couple of, trailer park hillbillies from Elsop ran onto the field like two decades ago and, and attacked somebody, you know, it's like, it's like the shoe bomb theory at the airport. A guy actually got a, what he thought was going to exploding shoe onto a plane. It didn't actually work. Right. But I'm still taking my shoes off 20 years later when I get onto a plane. There's no real rhyme or reason for it. I still get in that silly machine and x-rays me from all sides. You would think that would pick up any explosives. Otherwise, somebody would come up with a, you know, the collar on your shirt bomb by now, right? And the thing didn't even work. But yet we have this stupid rule in place at airports and we have this stupid rule at White Sox baseball games that nobody else really does. And you get this ridiculous crush. You tell people on television and radio and everything else like that, come out and get this food item. Come out and try this really cool thing we have at the ballpark. But guess what? More than 50% of you aren't really allowed to go check those things out. You got this beautiful concourse. You don't let anybody on it. That, as a fan experience to me, is one of the stupidest things that I see.
1: It's funny. I I hadn't even thought about that. It is still a response to those two idiots going after the, the Royals' first base coach. How long ago was that? It
0: was a father and a son. OK, and who ran out of there and attacked the Royals coach 20 years ago. You have netting around the ballpark now. More than that, isn't it? Is it more than 20 years ago? Even? I, I don't know. Like it was a long ass time ago. And you know what? It wasn't because it wasn't because people were allowed on the 100 levels because you had half price ticket night on that night. And if I'm not mistaken, there was like a Cubs day game and a Sox night game that day. And those people had been at both games. If I remember the story correctly, that's what had happened. Like they had been drinking since yeah, 10 in the like morning. That. Right? I mean, like maybe pay a little bit more attention when the guy's coming up to the bar and he can't say a word while he's while he's ordering a beer. Maybe that should have been the response that the White Sox took instead of restricting your fans onto the 100 level. But most of these people have lifetime jobs, so it doesn't matter if they're good or bad at their jobs. All right, But then I get up to the, to the level I'm on, and I got to tell you something. The people that are on the ground that are working at the games are very pleasant. They're actual workers are some of the nicest people that you'll come across. I have this guy who's a a beer vendor. I go up and I talk to him all the time up on that level. And he's a really nice guy. We have conversations. We talk about the game. Great dude, right? I'm, I'm not worried about the workers. The workers are great. But even he will admit to me that it's absurd, the tip prompting at this point, now that we've gone cashless, right? Like if I go buy two craft beers, two craft beers, and with tax and everything like that, I'm paying like 30 bucks or so for my two craft beers. And then the thing prompts me for a 20 or 25% tip. So you're telling me for the guy to turn around and open up the little cooler, pull out two cans of which sometimes he doesn't even open for me. He just hands them to me, right? Just that act right there is a $6 tip for two beers. Like in what normal world is that okay? Like, and I actually told him, I'm like, I'm going to hit other dude because I'm, I'm a dollar a beer because I know you'd be a dollar a beer. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I would too.
1: Like he even knows it. By the way, I, I I handed you
0: a can about fifteen
1: minutes ago. Where's my buck?
0: <laughs> they have that marketplace thing down there on the one hundred level where you you walk through, you pick out your own items. You you actually check yourself out, and then they ask you if you want to tip the guy who checks your ID. Are you kidding me? No, I don't. And then it's like percentages too. I mean, it's like some of the stuff they do. I I'm just I'm I'm aghast at it. Like. You keep, you send me, they sent me a survey. I'm sure they sent it to you. Everybody got one like in the last week or so about your connection to the ball club and your connection to the players. You're not asking the right questions. Start asking whether or not I enjoy the experience. Start asking about these things that we're complaining about, like the parking and how you get in and not being able to get onto onto a certain level. Like when they ask me that question, like, do you feel valued by the White Sox? I put absolutely not because the customer experience makes no sense to me when I walk around that ballpark. They don't really care if I'm having a good time. Like, essentially, y- you have to win. If you don't win the ball game, right? If I watch a crappy ball game with a crappy lineup, and we'll get into that in a little bit here on this show, if I watch that and all these bad customer service things are occurring, I'm not walking out in a good mood, and that carries over when I decide what I'm going to do with my entertainment dollar because I can sit at home and watch these games. Like, I really can. And for all those people who are like, well, then just sit at home, man. Okay, okay fine, fine. If you like being abused, like if you're, if you're so deep in your abusive relationship with the Chicago White Sox and how they treat you that you've come to accept this abuse that they heap upon you as the customer, then fine. Go ahead and live with it. But that's what you're in. You're in some kind of weird, abusive relationship with a team that constantly doesn't treat you very well. Okay. I mean, even your the ballpark experience used to be great. It's terrible now. I mean, forget forget the on-field product this year. I, I don't see a lot of examples of the fact that they actually care about me as a fan anymore. Like, a, if it weren't for it being put into my blood as a child, if I wasn't told by my father, this is your team, if I hadn't invested my entire life over 45 years into loving this team more than any other team in the world, they wouldn't be convincing me to be a fan of this team. Not in any way. Well, and, and you bring up a
1: point there, too, because people who defend the fan experience right now I would have to ask you, you know, one, I understand you may not have other ballpark experiences. Like you, you may not be going even as close as Wrigley or up to Miller Park and Milwaukee or whatever they're calling that these days. And you may not have done a tour of all the ballparks, but this wasn't the way that the stadium was run the entire time. Like, it's been better. This is just, you're right. That to me is a shame. And that you're right. It it, it hurts me to talk about it this way because it hurts me to sit here and think, I have I have kids that I want to convince that this should be their team as well. I have, you know, friends and family members that are Cubs fans that get into it with me, and I always had that for years. Didn't we always have that? Going to a White Sox game was just gonna be a better experience than tromping through Wrigley Fields, whatever sacred ground you hold that to be. But the Wrigley Field fan experience wasn't as good. But it, it's it's not that way. <laughs>
0: Family Waterproofing Solutions was named one of the Southtown's best in 2021 by the Daily Southtown. I expect it to happen again in 2022. They are our proud sponsors. And if you have bowing walls, window wells that need to be looked at, foundation, crack repair that needs to be done, your sump pump needs an examination or replacement, gutter cleaning, look, they come in, they give you an estimate. It's a free estimate. Then they they no hassle you on this. They'll give you options for things that can be done. They give you the estimate. And then when you're ready, you just click I'm accepting this bid, or I'm going to take option A, or I'm going to take option B, and then boom, it's scheduled. Somebody calls you up right away. They get it all set up for you to do great work, highly rated, and if you mention socks in the base when you call them, you get money off. Give them a call 24-7 at 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. All right, Captain Bill Pinckney is on the line with me right now. He's a Navy veteran. 87 years old, once sailed around the world in his personal watercraft in his mid-to-late 50s, and on Thursday afternoon, not only did he see one of the most ridiculous White Sox games I've seen in years, with a manager intentionally walking someone with two strikes, the next batter hitting a three-run home run, losing by two runs, and then that manager acts like we're all insane... Because what he did was smart. Not only did he witness that, but Captain Bill Pinkney also was honored as the hero of the game. This interview recorded before he went to the ball game. It gets really interesting. Let's bring him in here, Captain Bill Pinkney. How are you, sir?
2: I'm not bad for a man my
0: age. So you go around the world on a on a personal watercraft, I would imagine, right? You sailed it.
2: Yes, yes, a sailing boat, 47 foot boat. We sailed around the world.
0: And, and I bet you that it was much calmer doing that than all the media that you're doing this week uh, in anticipation for the, the White Sox honoring you at the game, huh?
2: Well, you got that right. I'm running around trying to do everything. I've got a book signing. I've got people wanting to do television. People want to do interviews. And I don't have a car. I haven't been in Chicago in a while. So I can't get around very easily. So it's, it's been a zoo. <laughs> I,
0: I can imagine, I'm, I'm looking at this, you wrote a book, it's a children's book, Sailing Commitment Around the World, uh, and I would imagine right. you could pick this up anywhere, right?
2: Oh, I'm afraid not. We're just, we're just doing the launch uh, tomorrow night, which will be the first outing for the book, uh, because Chicago is where I started all of this, so that, I figured that would be a fitting place to do it. Right now, you can get the book at my website, which is www.captain.com dot BillPinkney.com.
0: Hey, have they walked you through it? Because we're talking in advance of you being honored on Thursday by the White Sox. They always do their their thing where they, it's a, you know, you salute an American hero. And, you know, you, you're you getting that uh, essentially because of your service to this country, not going around the world on your own personal watercraft, although I think that's very cool. But well, take me through the process. What do they, do the White Sox reach out and they say, we'd like to honor you? Somebody told us about you. Like, how do they find folks like you to honor at the game every night?
2: Well, what happened is that uh, uh, there were some fresh things came out, and the Maritime Museum uh, presented me, and someone said, uh, hey, wait a minute. Uh, is he a vet? I said, sure. And they asked me, and they had them, I sent them uh, all my, inf- they sent me a request for all of the information where I served uh, my DD214, which is which is our badge of honor, if you're a vet. And they decided that uh, my service was noteworthy. Uh, the other thing that helped me along is that I'm a third-generation Chicagoan. I grew up in the shadow of what was then Comiskey Park. I grew up at 33rd in Indiana, which is, a stunt, a matter of fact, I could hear them cheering uh, when the White Sox hit a home run <laughs> inside my house. So I'm a, a local boy as well.
0: You're a guy who grew up in the shadow of the ballpark. I'm assuming you were a White Sox fan then because you, you were right next to the ballpark, right?
2: Uh, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. Here's the thing. Oh, no.
0: You grew up in the shadow of the ballpark and you just can't say yes to that? What, what happened?
2: I, here's what happens. My aunt, my mother's sister, was a Cubs fan from, oh. the, from the 30s. Captain, right? Captain Pinkney. Let me tell you what happened. Okay. So she listened to those games all the time. I listened to the White Sox games because it was right there. I could hear the game without even going to it, really. But she took me to my first professional baseball game in 1947. It was the Cubs versus the Brooklyn Dodgers, and Jackie Robinson was playing second base. So my first initiation to professional baseball was kind of an auspicious thing for, for a young black kid on the south, from the south side. So that was it. However, my relationship with the White Sox came uh, when I was in x-ray school at Providence Hospital on the south side. And my, one of my patients was Manny Minoso. So I x-rayed Manny Minoso when he, after he had a game injury and I got to know him a little bit. So I had a a soft spot, even though I didn't follow baseball a lot, but I still had a soft spot for the White Sox since I knew many and I grew up uh, there on on 33rd in Indiana. How how
0: important was it for you back then in 1947 to see Jackie Robinson? As a young black kid, to, to go and see him play second base at that game, what was that impact for you to see him?
2: The impact didn't come initially at that time. The impact came a few years later when I really understood. Cause I, was, I, was, I, was, let's see, I was I was, like 14, 12, 14. It was great to see a black guy play because I'd never heard of, or seen anyone. I'd seen Satchel Paige play. I'd seen uh, the, uh, the Indianapolis Clowns play the, in the Black Negro League, but I'd never seen one play in the, uh, in the, in the Blue League in the American League or the National League. So that was an impact. But as the years grew on, and I heard more and more of the story of Jackie Robinson, of Branch Rickey, and, and the whole thing that went, uh, that started getting a lot of people in, involved uh, in baseball. A lot of black people were, were fans uh, of, of uh, baseball for, for years, but never as enthusiastic as they became when uh, Jackie Robinson started playing and the other players came in. Uh, But it was a significant thing to have been able to see that and be there in the presence of him, even just on the field. That's
0: interesting to me, too, though, is that like, you know, we all watch Hollywood movies. And we also have a guy here on the South Side, Tim Anderson, that loves to honor Jackie Robinson. And you watch it as somebody who didn't live through it and couldn't understand it. Okay, and. You you just assume that it was this this earth shattering moment for everybody watching it every time that they went and saw him play. But what you're describing is, as a kid, it was great to see him out there. But the significance kind of grew over time as you start to understand what he went through. Is that right?
2: Certainly, uh, because it was such an incredible feat. Uh, an understanding that uh, you know, even here in, in Chicago, there were you know, I couldn't go up. I couldn't go and hang out in Lincoln Park. You know, Remember, I grew up in the, in the 40s and the 50s, and that was a no-no. No signs, but you knew that you weren't, you weren't supposed to be there. So you felt the restriction, and in, and in the game of baseball, here's a guy that went beyond that restriction. So it was incredible to see that. And uh, it, as the time went on, and I read more, I saw more uh, movies and things about it, I really got to understand uh, the real significance of it, not just for, for people to, uh, people of color, but for the game itself. Uh, it brought a whole different dimension to the game, uh, and, and it brought other players into the game uh, who might not have been seen, missed. We, we saw some incredible people come to the game through the advent of, of uh, baseball opening its doors uh, to everyone.
0: I think it's incredible, your story, first of all. I also like the fact that we just kind of discovered you grew up in the shadow of of uh, Comiskey Park and your first baseball game, you went and saw Jackie Robinson and, and the impact of that. I just think that that's just such a cool story I didn't expect to hear when we were talking today. One more question before we get uh, get you out of here, Captain. What is it going to be like in your mind? Are you prepared for when Gene Honda uh, announces your name they're going to put everything that you've ever done up on that big giant scoreboard. All these people are going to stand up at the ballpark and applaud for you. How do you prepare yourself for something like that? Because your life's going to be put up there for this entire fan base to watch. It's during a Dodger game, which is incredible after we just talked about the Dodgers. Like, I mean, how is this going to feel for you? Are you ready for it?
2: Well, let's just say I'm going to have to wear a second pair of underwear. <laughs>
0: That's a good answer. There, I'm a guy who's done an awful lot. First of all, thank you for your service. The name of the book, you can look for it. It's going to, I'm sure, eventually work its way out for you to be able to find, but it's a children's book that Captain Bill Pinckney wrote called Sailing Commitment Around the World. And, uh, Captain, I really appreciate you jumping on the show. Thank you very much. Our guest, who was very interesting today, Ed, And I did not expect it to turn into the Jackie Robinson conversation, but I found that to be intriguing. Uh, Originally, they reached out and said, you know, his publicist or whoever's handling him reached out and said, would you like to have uh, the captain on? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, who else is going to be on? I just imagined him being like on all these podcasts. And it was basically like the radio stations and one of the TV station morning shows and us. And he wanted to do socks in the basement, which I thought was super cool. Uh, he was brought to you, as every guest is brought to you, by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, an excellent spot for a day trip. The adults, family, whatever, shop, dine, drink, and explore and see their website for events going on each and every weekend. It is full of them. Visit Lamont Downtown. Com. So we've we've reached the point where I'm starting to see the uh, gratuitous tweets from people who think they're holier than thou and are going to start giving Sox fans a hard time for booing players. And specifically, Larry Garcia, who I've told you before, I hate bringing him up on the show because I think I talk about him too much, but we've talked about this. that He's really a microcosm of everything that the White Sox have done wrong since the final out against the Houston Astros. They had a bad offseason where things that should have been addressed weren't addressed. Bad money was handed out in contracts. See Garcia's three-year and $16.5 million contract. They have players underperforming. I mean, he's already a replacement level player, but he has an on-base percentage under 200. All right. And there's no signs of life, no matter what Tony La Russa keeps trying to tell people. Why is he he first in the lineup? Well, I saw something on the road trip. And then afterwards, he's like, well, I didn't see that today. But we'll see what happens tomorrow. Like he just, he won't give up on this guy and and he should give up on this guy. If he didn't have that contract, I think he would give up on this guy. This is a mistake they don't want to admit. Uh, But that's, that's what this team is. That's, that's the microcosm of this team. So I think that people do gravitate to Garcia a little bit because it, it really is one of the big problems, like the misuse of players in the lineup. He's one of those examples. So, like, anytime you talk about something that you think might be causing issues on this team, and there are a lot of things that cause this team to lose, we've talked about that, he comes up, I think, more than anybody. But I'll tell you this, on Tuesday night, Josh Harrison got booed mercilessly. That was not because, like, just because of him striking out. That was that was fans now voicing their displeasure off of offseason moves. I think when Garcia's up at the plate and he's getting booed, They are not just booing him because he sucks. They're booing Tony La Russa for the way he's using him, and they're booing Rick Hahn for the contract that he gave him, and they're booing the offseason, and they're booing the current plan by management of the White Sox. The problem is Tony La Russa doesn't go up there and take swings, and Rick Hahn really doesn't come out in the public to address any of us. I mean, they may never have a Sox fest again, because I think they've gotten really comfortable with not having to answer to fans.
1: Well, and and for people who are out there tweeting who are going to be that, take that stance, Okay. And it doesn't matter how close or, or separated you are from the team in terms of your life and and your relationship to them. If you're out there for any fan base, just sitting there going, your obligation as a fan is to cheer everybody, and you shouldn't be booing these players. They're doing their darndest, and and yeah, you know they've got that moxie. You know they're out there trying their hardest. Hey, look, that's not the way this works. As fans, we have only a few opportunities and a few ways to really voice our displeasure. One is at the box office and simply just not showing up to games. And we know that there's a detriment to that because if the gates are down, if people aren't coming in and spending money, that's going to be harder for the team to, to go out and put a product on the field. I don't want to get into that argument. But if you're out there saying that, you know, you can't boo Larry Garcia because Larry's a good guy or because Larry's trying really hard or it's not his fault that... He got that contract, all that stuff. That's fine. But the, the message isn't necessarily, I hate you, Larry Garcia, when I'm booing seeing him leading off a game. It's partially me letting Tony Larusa know this is unacceptable as a fan for me to see this guy in this part of the lineup. I understand he's going to be on, he's on the roster. He's going to play some games. But again, Tony got roasted by pretty much everybody broadcasting that game last
0: night. For having Larry leading off. Everybody did. The Dodgers broadcast. Everybody. There, there were multiple clips from the Dodgers broadcast, which we retweeted from the Sox in the Basement account on Twitter. Uh, the, multiple clips. They didn't just talk about it once. Many times during the game on Wednesday did they talk about the absurdity of Larry Garcia leading off and all the reasons why it was bad. This is the opposing team's announcers laughing at how stupid of a plan that it is. When you have Ozzie Gian on the post-game show, if you ever want to question the relationship between those that are very close to the team, whether they be covering the team or an alum of the team or whatever, and the actual team, look at how much he apologizes for giving his opinion before he gives it. Like, he's like, I really love this guy. I love this guy. I love Tony. I love everybody. I love you. I love them. I love everybody. I love the White Sox, but... This is stupid. Like, he has to dance around it, but he wants so badly to be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen.
1: But the the message, the boos are for the organization and, and for the situation that they're in. And it's basically the way that a fan can sit there and tell someone that's an actual decision maker. I
0: am displeased. That's not personal. The guys I'm more disappointed in than Garcia and, and and Josh Harrison, I'm far more disappointed in Yasmani Grandal, who's also getting i Oh, I'm far more disappointed gosh. in Yoan Moncada because those are guys I expect to do better. Like Garcia is a replacement level player for his career. Anybody that argues with me on that, you really need to learn how to 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 like look up a guy's stats. And see, like his wins above replacement, which is like aggregate over a, a over twelve years, he's like barely above it. He comes out to like a a third of a win per year. Like that's you can get that from any AAA player. Okay, so I'm not upset with him for sucking because a guy like that is going to have periods of suckage. That's just how it's gonna go. I'm more upset with Yasmani Grandal. I'm really upset with Yohan Mancada what he's doing. Another guy who it was really telling in post game on Wednesday with uh, Guillen who's defending him. And he's like, look, everybody wants a uh, said, I'd like to see more fire from him. Right. And, and Guillen's like, that's just not his personality though. That's not what he is, but trust me, he's upset. He's in fact, Gian painted the picture of a guy who's put a lot of expectations on himself and wants to prove to people. He's good and stresses about how he's doing right now. In fact, the way that Gian described it, I'm getting the feeling that like Mankata has got to sit down with a sports psychologist because he's in his own head. Oh, 100%. In his way of trying to defend Mankata, he basically described the guy who's extremely quiet and takes things extremely personally, who is just beside himself with his performance at this point. Like I, I have a younger cousin, and she works for a major league baseball team as a sports psychologist. She travels around to different minor league baseball teams, and she sits down and talks with guys who... Because of problems like these to get them back on track. I hope the White Sox have somebody like that. And that person should be sitting next to you on Moncada constantly because it, the way that Gian described it, he's in his head. And that is not going to get fixed by just going up there every day. You know, you got to you got to break that somehow. You got to find some way to get to him. You know, he needs to have a four for five day. And I don't know how that's going to how, how you create that for him. But somewhere, somehow, he's got to get out of his own head. Because the way that Guillen described him in the post, I sat there with my jaw on the ground watching it on on Wednesday. I was like, oh, man, he's, he's a head case right now he's he's up he's so upset that's kind of how i i took it when he was talking in his way of trying to defend mancada to talk about his personal relationship with him and how much he loves him because he said that a bunch too because he's got to predicate every time he talks about any player like i don't want you to take any offense well, to this he, but this is the might, truth well, and he
1: might actually really like the guy see that's the other thing too is, is that ozzy has known tony uh, remember tony was ozzy's manager I back I- I- at the start of his playing career so i you know i i sometimes i do think that you know when you're when you're sitting there saying when sometimes I hear Ozzy say that and I'm sitting there thinking like he literally is going to have to take a text from this guy or a phone call or face to face with this guy at some point and be like dude you're on TV you you said that about me on t-. you know so but but it is one of those where you know again okay so as fans how are we supposed to voice our displeasure with what's going on with Yoan Moncada if we don't boo? And we can all want Yoan Moncada to do well. And I think even Joan Moncada would probably realize that, like, yeah, the fans want me to do well and they're upset with me because I'm not. And if that's if that's what's causing this, if that's Larry Garcia's problem, if that's Yasmani Grandal's problem, if that is the problem for any of these guys, great. But the White Sox have to do something about it, and the only
0: way as a fan I can let them know that they need to do something about it is to do what? Boom! Boo! Boo away. If you boo Gavin Sheets, you're not booing Gavin Sheets. You're booing them for not sending him down the AAA where he belongs at this point. It's okay to boo. Say it with me. It's okay to boo. It's okay to boo.
1: Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement.
2: Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. In the basement. Heard everywhere. A podcast can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.